following is a vintage broadcasting publication presented by Frank Goss. The following podcast is entitled Dewey's Dumbing Down of the American Children. This series is concentrated on the state of public education in the United States of America. As we continue with our study regarding John Dewey, we're going to look into how John Dewey used public schools in order to replace Christianity with collective humanism. And I would like to reiterate my reason for providing information regarding these particular matters. Now, I'm in search for the motivating ideas that pushed these men and these movements to do what they have done. And admittedly, the deeper I go in my research, the further back I go into history, I'm not finding that we've drifted further away from God. Having a relationship with God is a black and white issue. Either you're a child of God or you're not. Uh, People say they believe in Jesus. Well, the devils believe in Jesus, but that does not make them a child of God. Mankind, since the day Adam chose to eat of the forbidden tree, mankind has been in a struggle which, apart from God's intervention, has only resulted in a deeper walk into the darkness and further away from God. And with each era and each epoch we find in history, the fundamental idea is essentially the same. Get as far away from the repressive hand of God as you can. Man is able to do better, and we are growing into a more progressive society with more amenities and diversions being created daily. We need to head for the utopia, the utopia finish line, perfection. It seems to be nothing more than a continuation of the civilization Cain started in the land of Nod. The different approaches, ideologies, and efforts are worth discovering, but essentially they all fall back on the same foundation and the same intention. They want to eliminate God from consideration. They want to press on and do what they want to do without God looking over their shoulder. And their attitude is never give in or never give up. And together we'll find, we will find a utopia And the disappointing thing is this utopia does not exist. Widely recognized as the founding father of America's progressive public education system, John Dewey was a man on an unprecedented religious mission with more fervor and devotion than many Christian missionaries or Islamic jihadists. He set out to win America over to his religious worldview. Presently, we're considering education and to be honest, it is proving to be yet one more cog in the machine of mankind's valiant effort. Various leaders have led in this particular effort here in the United States. Their aim is run in alignment with the aims and intentions of Europe and beyond. The expressed desire of these men are all very, very similar. Push for utopia. We will arrive if we all work together. For you see, together each achieves more. When Dewey launched his crusade to erode the faith and individualism of Americans, the United States of America was among the most devoutly Christian nations the world had ever known. Church and the Bible were inseparable parts of life and education for virtually every student. In 1643, the Articles of Confederation of the United Colonies, the earliest settlers in America declared, we all came into these parts of America with one and the same end and aim, namely, to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in purity with peace. Century later, 
That was still the prevailing sentiment in 1856, for an example. The U.S. House of Representatives, which represents the people more directly than any other federal body, put it this way. The great, vital, and conservative element in our system is the belief of our people in the pure doctrines and divine truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Numerous similar declarations came from Congress before and after that. In 1892, meanwhile, even the U.S. Supreme Court declared in Holy Trinity Church versus the United States that America is a Christian nation. And as recently as the 1970s, nine out of 10 Americans still identified themselves as Christian. Today, things have changed dramatically. Just two thirds of Americans identify themselves as Christians. And those numbers are plummeting further down every year. Even in the Bible Belt today, significantly less than half of Americans attend church weekly, with church attendance dropping to less than 20% in some states. And even among those self-proclaimed Christians, studies and surveys by the Nehemiah Institute and other organizations reveal that the vast majority reject the biblical worldview that defined Americans for centuries. While the decline of Christianity and the biblical worldview among Americans, the, the free political institutions they gave rise to have eroded as well. Probably the most single important figure responsible for the rapid implosion of Christianity in America and across the West, more broadly, was John Dewey. In a previous article in the series, Dewey's well-known collectivist views were documented, including his fascination with the Soviet Union and his desire to radically transform the United States into a socialist nation. The foundation for this transformation was laid in the early 1800s by a communist named Robert Owen, whose writings on education inspired the Prussian government to take over their nation's education. So education in Germany was going to be by the government, for the government. Decades later, Massachusetts Secretary of Education, a gentleman named Horace Mann, who was a collectivist and a utopian, would import the status system from Prussia to America. And finally, John Dewey would seize control of that architecture, mix it in with the Soviet ideas and the psychology, and provide an enormous boost to its effectiveness in fundamentally transforming America. Part three in this series focused primarily on Dewey's views on politics, the economy, and education, but Dewey's religion often described as atheism, but in reality, it went beyond that. It's a crucial part of the puzzle that we're considering. It's also inseparable from his views on everything else. A man's religious position cannot help but color his worldview. John Dewey, the high-profile reformer, did not seek at all to conceal his religious views from the public. And in fact, he was a key player and one of the first signatories behind the first Humanist Manifesto. This important religious document essentially fused faith in the non-existence of God with a fanatical devotion to socialism and communism, creating potentially one of the most dangerous religions of all time. The very first tenet of this new religion was a direct and open attack on the Bible and the prevailing religious orthodoxy of that time. In particular, the notion that an omnipotent and omniscient God had created the universe and the earth as described in Genesis 1-1, the Bible's very first verse. Religious humanists, this is a quote, religious humanists regard the universe as self-existing, 
and not created reads the first tenet of Dewey's religious manifesto. Note the honesty. Dewey and company recognized that their belief system was, in fact, a religion. Beyond the giant implications for religion, the political and economic significance of this statement is profound as well. America's founding fathers argued that it was self-evident, this truth, that God had created people and endowed them with certain inalienable rights, as explained clearly in the Declaration of Independence. Inalienable rights are rights that are given by God that you cannot alienate a man from. Indeed, the very purpose of government, they said, was to protect these God-given rights, the right to life, liberty, and so on. But under Dewey's religion, there is no God. And if there is no God, there can be no God-given rights. In fact, Dewey was openly hostile to the view that anyone had an inalienable right to private property or anything else. After all, if there is no God to prohibit stealing private property or even murder, there is no transcendent reason why anybody should have any inalienable rights to anything. This is a recipe and a recommendation for totalitarian rule. The socialist and collectivist mentality behind this line of thinking is all spelled out very clearly in the Humanist Manifesto itself. I'm quoting here, the humanists are firmly convinced that existing acquisitive and profit-motivated society has shown itself to be inadequate and that a radical change in methods, controls, and motives must be instituted. A socialized and cooperative economic order must be established to the end that the equitable distribution of means of life be possible. This is the exact same rhetoric used by every communist tyrant in the 20th century. The profit motive is bad. Capitalism is bad. Free market economy is bad. So, radical change, including collective ownership of the means of production, must be instituted. This has been called the guiding vision of such luminaries as Fidel Castro, Vladimir Lenin, Mao Zedong, Joseph Stalin, Pol Pot, Chavez, Maduro, and the Kim Dynasty in Korea, and many more. Countless millions have died as a direct result of these ideas being imposed on a society. But individualist American Christians with a devotion to God and God-given liberty were hardly going to just give up their ingrained beliefs, their hard-won freedom, or their property rights without a fight. So Dewey and his disciples, often funded with capitalist Rockefeller money, ironically, understood that education would be crucial to changing the attitudes of the people, and it would require time and patience. It had to be done quietly. As we suggested in the last study, Dewey said, change must come gradually. He said this in an 1898 essay calling for schools to place much less emphasis on reading and writing and much more emphasis on collectivism. To force these things unduly would compromise the final success by favoring a violent reaction from the public. Charles F. Potter, a, a fellow signer of the Humanist Manifesto and a Dewey associate, spelled out explicitly what few Americans were willing to see or understand at that particular time. Education is thus a most powerful ally of humanism, and every public school is a school of humanism, he wrote in his 1930 book, Humanism, A New Religion. What can theistic Sunday school, 
meeting an hour once a week, and teaching only a fraction of the children. What can this Sunday school system do to stem the tide of a five-day program of humanistic teaching? Father asked rhetorically. Of course, the answer is practically nothing. The humanists well understood this. A few decades after Potter's bombshell, the U.S. Supreme Court would formalize it all. After centuries of being at the center of American education, the Bible and prayer in schools, as mandated by state and local authorities from the time public education came into being, were suddenly found to be unconstitutional. The foundations of the United States, what we were built on, the ideology that brought up the nation, was deemed to be unconstitutional. Supposedly, Bible and prayer in local schools represent a violation of the First Amendment's prohibition on Congress, passing laws respecting an establishment of religion. And yet the Humanist Manifesto is now in force within the public school. The legal logic, or the lack thereof, required the court to twist itself into pretzels. A well-educated public would have, would have seen right through the deception. After all, when the First Amendment was written and ratified, and long thereafter, most of the states actually had established churches. But after decades of declining educational standards, thank you Horace Mann, and humanist propaganda within the schools, the monumental decision that would transform America was meekly accepted by much of the populace. And the church said little. At least one justice, Potter Stewart, understood what was happening. He said, refusal to permit religious exercise thus is seen not as the realization of state neutrality, but as the establishment of religion of secularism. He wrote in his dissent using the term secularism to describe what Dewey and his cohorts would have referred to as humanism. In short, under the guise of upholding the Constitution, the U.S. Supreme Court did the very thing the Constitution was supposed to prevent. Congress was not allowed to promote a religion, and yet it established a national religion and compelled Americans to support it with their children and with their taxes. The reason for the First Amendment was clear. The founders were worried that some denomination of Protestant Christians might try to establish itself as the official national religion. They never would or could have imagined less than two centuries after creating the new Christian nation that the institutions they established would force anti-Christian humanism on the American people via public education and judicial fiat. But that's exactly what happened. Government schools across the United States to this day want you, the American people, to pretend that they are neutral in matters of religion, and yet they indoctrinate your children into believing and accepting humanistic principles as if humanism were not a religious belief system. And this, my friend, is a lie. Dewey and his fellow humanists recognized it as a religion, and the federal courts have too. As recently as 2014, a federal court in Oregon declared this to be true. The court finds, the court said, that secular humanism is indeed a religion for establishment clause purposes, wrote Judge Anker Haggerty in the ruling, which didn't concern schools in this case, but was nonetheless highly relevant to education. Today, Dewey's totalitarian religion of humanism is being inculcated into the minds of every child attending public school, often by unwitting teachers who don't even realize 
what they're doing. Polls now consistently show, even more so in our day, over half of young Americans wish to identify themselves as socialists. Dewey would be so proud. But Americans should be, and shamefully or not, outraged. And still, little Johnny can't read. This is Frank Goss with Vintage Broadcasting. We do appreciate your participation in listening to our broadcast. We hope that it benefits you in some way and that you will continue listening in the days to come.